read about as far as the trespass offering goes, as far as the blood being sprinkled uh, round about the altar. Uh, you know, we read about it, we read about the fat, and we read about what was to be offered to the Lord, and uh, we talked a little bit about uh, uh, what, was, uh, uh, what was allowed to be kept by the, uh, by the people or by the priest, wherever the case was. Uh, but here we read about the blood being sprinkled uh, round about the altar. So a lot of this is repetitious, it seems, but we do learn a couple of new things about these offerings. Verse 3, and he shall offer of, of, of it all the fat thereof, the rump, and the fat that covereth the inwards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, which is by the flanks, and the caul that is above the liver with the kidneys, it shall he take away. And the priest shall burn them upon the altar for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a trespass offering. And this is very uh, repetitious of what we've read, uh, not only of the trespass offering, but of other offerings uh, uh, that, uh, that have been brought up throughout these seven chapters of Leviticus. Uh, remember, we, we read that, uh, that all the fat belongs to God. All the fat belongs to to the Lord, so all the fat is given to Him. We've talked about the fat and the kidneys and the call and, uh, and how these were the the choice, uh, the most choice things of these sacrifices. And God says, "Those are mine. The best parts are mine." Uh, but, but God uh, God allows provision uh, for His people, though, in all that. It says, "Every male among the priests shall eat thereof. It shall be eaten in the holy place. It is most holy." And uh, we talked about this a little bit last week. How uh, all the males of the uh, all the males of the priests that would be all of Aaron's sons, uh, and and their job was to do the, the the tabernacle service and later on the temple service. They're the ones that uh, that sprinkled the blood. They're the ones that uh, that got the shoe bread ready. They're the ones that set it upon That's the table. Old. They're the ones that uh, that burned the incense. It was the priests, uh, the Levites. Uh, the sons of Aaron, these are the very ones that were in service to God on behalf of the people. The people were allowed to bring their offerings unto God, but it was the priests that, that done the actual services. Now we read, in the, as far as the sacrifices go, if y'all will recall back over the different sacrifices, we read where uh, uh, many times the offerer is the one that actually done the killing. But the blood was not sprinkled by the offerer. The blood was sprinkled or, or gotten in the bowls or put on the horns of the altar, whatever. That was only done by the priest. The actual killing may have been for the offerer, but the priests themselves, who were the mediators between God and, and the, the other Israelites, they were the ones that had, to, that had to present the blood, and they had to do it the way that God said to. Uh, as the sin offering is, so is the trespass offering. There is one law for them. The priest that maketh atonement therewith shall have it. So here we have a, a something else that we don't read when we're going through the sin offering and the trespass offering. He says there's one law that pertains to both of these things. He says the priest that actually makes this atonement, the priest that, that uh, after the animal is killed and the, and the blood, everything's done with the blood that needs to be done, whether it's put on the horns of the altar, whether it's sprinkled, wherever the case is, the priest that done this service, uh, that priest could have the remnant of that offering. It was for him. But uh, notice it just says, uh, the priest that maketh atonement therewith shall have it. It's his. It's in his possession to do with what he wills. 
to do with anything that he wants. It is that priest uh, that uh, it is that priest that is allowed to do that. And uh, uh, you know, many times it was shared in a fellowship feast. Uh, other times, you know, it may have just been uh, for the priest and his family. Uh, but either way, it was the priest. God made provision for his priest. Remember, we've talked about how the, the, the tribe of Levi uh, was told they would have no inheritance once they got to the promised land. They said, uh, the scripture said, the Lord would be their portion in the promised land because they are the ones that were going to be doing the temple service. They wouldn't be able to go out and get jobs or raise crops. They wouldn't have time for any of that. So this was God's provision uh, for them. So then the priest that offereth any man's burnt offering, even the priest shall have to himself the skin of the burnt offering which he hath offered. And I don't think it's an accident that this verse here, uh, verse 8, follows verse 7. Now remember, we talked about the remnant of the sacrifice in verse 7 and how that belonged to the priest. And here it says, as far as the burnt offering goes, that the, that the priest... That, that performs the duties of the burnt offering. The skin belongs to him uh, uh, to do with as he wishes. If he wants to make leather out of that skin and use it for his own, own purposes, it's his to do. If he wants to take that skin and give it to someone else, he can do that. But this is something we didn't read about in chapter 1. This is something else that's new. We didn't read about the skin that was being left over in, in chapter 1. Folks, uh, when, when we read about uh, the, the offer shall kill the sacrifice, the offer uh, shall do this, that word for kill, it denotes slaughtering. It's the same way an animal would be killed uh, for consumption, for human consumption. They would slit its throat, they would skin it, and they would divide it all out. We read in, uh, in Leviticus 1 and Leviticus 3 uh, about how the, the order of it was supposed to be and how they would lay these things upon the altar, what God called for, the fat and the call and the kidneys and all these other things. And, uh, and all those things were God's. Uh, but this is something new that we just read, that the skin belongs to the priest uh, uh, that performed the duties. And he, like I said, he could use it for himself. He could use it for any purpose that he wanted to. If he knew somebody else that needed it worse, it was his to do with as he wished. Now, once again, I don't think it's an accident that it follows verse 7 here because that belonged to the priest, well, the remnant of the offering, and the skin of the burnt offering belonged to the priest to do with as he wishes. And uh, in uh, starting this tonight, we talked about uh, how we should be able to apply things to the New Testament church or to Christ or to the cross, uh, anything along those lines. Folks, uh, the offering itself uh, in New Testament Christianity is Jesus Christ. We cannot deny that. The scripture makes it plain. These, these uh, verses and chapters that we've been reading through Leviticus, they make it plain that the ultimate uh, sacrifice was Jesus Christ. They were a type and a shadow of what was to come uh, uh, in Jesus Christ. But he being the offering, he is also the priest that presents the blood uh, to God. He presents the, the blood to the Father. Uh, but whatever's left over, including the skin, including anything else, it's Christ. It's his to do with as he wishes. 
And if you take this and you go plumb back to the garden, I know we've talked about it since we've been going through Leviticus. I've heard Vern bring it up in teaching and preaching as well. You go all the way back to Genesis, to the garden, <coughs> and you go all the way back to Adam and Eve's fall, Adam and Eve's sin, and them covering themselves with fig leaves, and a, and a slaughter took place there of innocent animals to get their skins to cover Adam and Eve with. That was God's slaughter. It was God's animal. It was, it was uh, innocent animals that God killed. And God could have done anything in the world that he wanted to, including just killing Adam and Eve and starting all over again had he wanted to. But he chose not to do that. He took one of his own creation. And we can pretty well rightfully assume it was a lamb, even though the Bible doesn't say that. But as much as we read about the lamb of God, uh, uh, even uh, throughout these chapters in Leviticus we've been reading on into the New Testament Christ uh, being referred to as the Lamb of God we can pretty rightfully assume that but either way it was an innocent animal that was killed and it belonged to God and God could Amen. do with it whatever he wanted to and God chose God chose to use that skin to cover the, the sinfulness of Adam and Eve to cover their embarrassment, to cover their shame. Uh, if you recall uh, in the scripture when Adam and Eve, it says over there in Genesis that when they realized they were naked, they were ashamed. God used the skin of an innocent animal, uh, something that belonged to him, to cover them up. And it's no different now in the New Testament church. Christ uses his righteousness. Christ uses uh, uses his work on the cross. Christ uses himself to cover us. He uses something that, that uh, only he and, and only God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had, which was righteousness. Because we have none. The Bible says right. none are righteous. No, not one. So he uses something, his righteousness, to cover us in our iniquity, to cover us in our sin. And he is the priest. He's the great high priest. And he could do with that anything that he wanted to. The priest shall have it. it. It shall be the priest. It shall be his position to do with what he wills. And Christ chose to use himself and use his righteousness and use his work to cover us, to give to us, to impart to us. So that's, uh, that's, uh, that's the best application uh, as far as the Old Testament to the New Testament as far as that goes, is that uh, the great high priest, Jesus Christ, uh, had his possession, and he could have done with it anything he wanted to. But he chose to, he chose to give it to us and to cover us with it. And all the, all the meat offering that is baking in the oven and all that is dressed in the frying pan and in the pan shall be the priest that offereth, offereth it. And every meat offering mingled with oil and dry shall all the sons of Aaron have one as much as another. And we talked about this in chapter 2 when we talked about the meat offering uh, or the grain offering, however you'd like to phrase that, uh, and how it was, it was not only an offering unto God. And remember, they would bring, they would bring their flour and the, uh, or their, uh, their part of the flour that God required as an offering, and the priest would take out part of it in his hand, and he would throw it upon the altar to be burned. God says, that is my part. Uh, that's the part that's designated to me. 
And I told you all then that the rest would be used for a fellowship feast, and that's why some people refer to that, and actually some of the English translations of the Bible uh, call it a fellowship offering because uh, that's exactly what it was. But it not only designated uh, or showed fellowship uh, between the, the offerer and the priest or just the priests themselves when they would feast upon it, uh, when they would use it. I mean, folks, like I said earlier, they're the ones that prepared the shoe bread. They're the ones that set it upon the table. Where do you think that they got the flour for that? Where do you think that they got the things that they needed to make that bread? It was from offerings that were brought unto God, but God said, okay, this is my part. You can have the rest. But remember, just a, a lesson or two ago, we talked about even the priest had to give a tenth of his part of that offering. So God had already gotten his part from the original offerer, but the priests were not excluded from that. Everyone was required to give God his part uh, that, that he wanted, that his law laid out. So here we have, uh, if you remember from Leviticus chapter 2 and the meat offering, we talked about uh, the, the flour and the fine flour and how some of it was mingled with oil. And then it talked about the, uh, the uh, lower class, if you'd like to call it that, and uh, talked about how they would offer uh, uh, smaller portions of it, and basically crackers uh, that were anointed with oil. Uh, that would have oil dipped upon them. And that's what we're talking about here when it's talking about that, that which is in the oven, that which is in the frying pan. Uh, we're talking about those different classes because remember, not everybody can offer the same thing. That's one of the greatest things that we learn in these few chapters of Leviticus that we've gone through is that not, not everybody had an ox to offer. Not everybody had a lamb to offer. Uh, uh, not everybody had fine flour uh, to offer, but God made made a way that everyone could serve him and everyone could feel like they had done the part that God required of them so that no rich Israelite had any right whatsoever to look down upon a poor Israelite. No one that had a lamb had any right to look down upon a poor Israelite. And the poorer Israelites couldn't look down on the poorer Israelites either because everybody had a way to serve God and to give God uh, the, the sacrifice or the offering that he required. Whether it was a blood sacrifice or, or whether it was a grain sacrifice or a meat offering, God made a way for everyone to take part in this. So that, that ends the uh, that part of the laws of all these offerings, and we get into the peace offerings, which we've already been to. So if y'all skip to Leviticus 7, starting at verse 35, it says, This is the portion of the anointing of Aaron and of the anointing of his sons out of the offerings of the Lord made by fire in the day when he presented them to minister unto the Lord in the priest's office which the Lord commanded to be given them of the children of Israel in the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the meat offering, and of the sin offering, and of the trespass offering, and of the consecrations, uh, and of the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses in Mount Sinai in the day that he commanded the children of Israel to offer their oblations unto the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. So back to verse 35. He says, This is the portion of the anointing of Aaron and of the anointing of his sons out of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. So once again, we're concentrating on this is directed at the priests, 
at the ones that are doing the service of the Lord uh, in the tabernacle when the tabernacle uh, would be built and these services actually started but it's talking about the, the anointing of Aaron, the anointing of his sons and, and this anointing uh, uh, it was uh, it was unlike the anointing that the rest of the Israelites had. All of them had an anointing of God just like all Christians now have an anointing of God that we call the Holy Spirit. All of the, all of the Israelites whether they were Levites or, or the tribe of Reuben or Benjamin or Judah, whoever uh, whichever tribe they were from, all of them had an anointing in that they were all God's chosen people. They were all the children of, 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 of Jacob. They were all uh, the, the sons and daughters of Israel. So this was their anointing. But God specifies here a specific anointing on Aaron and his sons to the priest. And what was that anointing? It was a consecration. It talks about the law of the consecration uh, in those verses. It was a consecration or a sanctification. God had set them apart for his work and for his service. Uh, uh, and he says this is the portion of the anointing of Aaron and the anointing of his sons out of the offerings of the Lord made by fire in the day he presented them to minister unto the Lord in the priest's office. And this, uh, this anointing took place actually after all was said and done. The tabernacle had been built. The altar had been prepared. Uh, the, the, all the furniture of the tabernacle had been prepared. All these things had taken place. But it was eight days after everything was ready and everything was prepared. It was eight days before the service actually began. Before the, that part of the laws of God uh, actually took place before this consecration uh, before it, uh, it was eight days from the time that everything was prepared uh, and, until this all took place uh, there was eight, eight days time that was the anointing uh, which God gave and said which the Lord commanded to be given them out of the, of the children of Israel in the day that he anointed them by statute forever throughout their generation now, folks in scripture forever means forever and people will look now at Israel, that little speck of sand that they've got over there that we call Israel, and they'll say, well, these sacrifices aren't taking place. There is no temple. There is no tabernacle. They're not keeping the commandments of God. And they'll look down their noses. I'm talking about Gentiles. They'll look down their noses at Israel, those that are somewhat familiar with the Bible, somewhat familiar with Leviticus and Exodus uh, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, actually. Uh, they'll, they'll look down their noses at them and say, they're not doing what God says. They're not keeping the commandments of God. But folks, we've got no right to do that. We're not keeping the commandments of God either. We do our best. We do our best, but we could not and cannot keep those commandments perfectly. That's the whole reason Christ had to come and die. If it were possible that we could be saved by the law, then, then that's how it would have been by, but it's not. There was never a law given, never once in the scripture was there a law given that we could earn salvation by. Never once. Don't believe me, read Galatians chapter 3. Paul, Paul explains it a whole lot better than what I can. But there is never a law, not in all the Old Testament, was there a law given. 
where we could be saved, where we could earn our salvation by keeping that law. It has always been by grace. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, God has chosen people by his grace. God chose Abraham uh, uh, when he called him to come out of the land of Ur. God chose Noah. I mean, you know, Noah wasn't anything special. I understand Noah and Job and a couple of others in the scripture. It talks about uh, it talks about, you know, they were good and perfect men and, and, and so on. But folks, they were sinful, just like you and I are sinful. The only sin, unsinful man that's ever walked the planet has been Jesus Christ. God manifests in the flesh. That's the only sinless uh, person that's ever walked this earth. So Amen. Abram, there was nothing special about Abram. God simply chose Abram. God simply chose Noah. God uh, simply chose Moses. Out of all the Israelites, God chose Moses to go to Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. And God chose Moses uh, to, to bring his people up out of Egypt, up out of bondage, and to, and to get the law from him on Mount Sinai and to present his law, God's law, to his chosen people. God chose these things, and it was all by grace that, that he'd done it. Nothing that they'd done, nothing that they merited uh, themselves. It was all of God, folks, and salvation is all of God. We could try and keep the law till we were blue in the face and never, ever, ever earn our salvation. He, he chose the tribe of Levi to, to do the temple service and to do the tabernacle service. Not because Levi was a good guy. Not because, not because he just liked the way he looked more so than his 11 brothers. He simply chose them because that was his choosing. He's God and he can do and he can choose whomever he wants to or whatever he wants to at any given time. He is God. And it's all by grace that he does these things. He chose to consecrate them. He chose to sanctify them. And, uh, and, he, and he chose these laws that he's given them as far as these offerings goes. And he made these laws, but he not only made them uh, so that they would have provision for themselves. That was part of it, yes. But the biggest part, speaking specifically about the priests and these offerings, the biggest part of this was it honored God. It brought honor to him. It glorified God that he had made provision for his people, for lowly human beings that didn't deserve it. That glorifies God. And the salvation that Jesus Christ is able, uh, is able to work in the life of a lost sinner, it, it is not for the benefit of the sinner that God does that. It is to bring him glory. He saves souls to bring him glory. He saves souls uh, to bring him honor. Amen. And he saves souls for the sake of Jesus Christ. It is not because we're good people and we deserve it. And these uh, uh, things that we're reading about the tribe of Levi here, the Levites, it wasn't because they were good people. It wasn't because uh, God was showing favoritism to them. God simply chose to do it this way. This is the law of the burnt offering, the meat offering, and the sin offering, and of the trespass offering and of the consecration to the sacrifice of the peace offerings, which the Lord commanded Moses in Mount Sinai in the day that he commanded the children of Israel to offer their oblations unto the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Very simply put, these are the things that God has commanded. 
and he commanded them to Moses to relay to the rest of the people. Regardless of what the sacrifice was, regardless of what the offering was, whether it was the burnt offering, and we've talked about how anyone, anyone in Israel could, could bring a burnt offering, yes, they could do that, but there was also a burnt offering that was to be burning night and day. While, while that tabernacle was set up and the fire was going, going, there was to be a morning oblation and there was to be an evening oblation. There was to be a constant burnt offering on there. And any Israelite that wanted to bring a burnt offering unto God could do so. Any Israelite that wanted to bring a meat offering unto God could do so. Any of them that wanted to bring a peace offering unto God, they could do so. Any of them that had sinned, any of them that had trespassed, they could bring a sin offering unto God. And God, or if you remember when we were going through the sin offering, God made provision there too. And, and he made it very plain that from the priest all the way down to the lowliest peasant of the Israel, Israel all of them had a way to bring a sin offering uh, unto God. All these offerings uh, that we've read about for the past few weeks, uh, with the with the exception of the, the meat offering. Uh, we're talking about the one thing that they've all got in co common other than the meat offering. Uh, they, they've all got a common denominator, and that's blood. The blood offerings that were, that were made. And folks, it, it's, it's always been blood. I mean, from the very get-go, we talked about not long ago, when God killed innocent animals, or at least one innocent animal, to make skins for Adam and Eve. It, there was bloodshed then. You think about that. You think about uh, how uh, offerings uh, affected the entire race from, from Adam and Eve on up. I mean, when Noah uh, stepped off of the ark, he offered burnt offerings to God. You know, when, and that, that would have required bloodshed. That's what God has required from the get-go. When God was going to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, we all know the story of the Passover and the account of the Passover when, uh, when God says, uh, you know, you'll take a lamb without spot and without blemish and, and you'll, you'll kill it. You'll slaughter this innocent lamb and you're going to take his blood and you're going to take hyssop and you're going to strike it on your doorpost and strike it on the lintels. It was blood then. He said, he said, when I come through Egypt this night, I will smite the Egyptians. I will smite the firstborn. I'll do this thing. But when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. It's been by blood from the get-go. Folks, it is by blood now. Amen. And you got to think, though, about this was an, the initiation, really, of the ceremonies that we read about so often in the scriptures. I mean, we read about them uh, from from Exodus when they're first when the laws are first being given on through Leviticus we read about them all throughout the Old Testament offerings and sacrifices and and uh, things along those lines everything we've been going over for the past few weeks they all have to do with blood though with the with the exception of the meat offering uh, there there was no blood involved in that. But it's, it's always been by blood. And folks, it's, it's by blood now. You think about these people. You think about young children. Think about young Israelite children that, you know, they're four, five, six years old, and they're just, you know, starting to kind of 
develop uh, not only their personalities, but getting to the point of their life where they can actually remember things. I mean, I can remember things uh, from when I was very young. I can actually remember my third birthday party, uh, believe it or not. But uh, you think about these children, though, and how many times they may have went to the tabernacle with their father, and they went and they, they saw the offering, and they saw their father kill this offering, whether it was a, a, a sin offering or burnt offering, whatever the case was, a peace offering, and they saw their father kill it, would they have really understood what was going on? Probably not. I wouldn't have at that age. But I would have done it just because. Just because Dad said that's what God said to do. But these children would have been tagging along. But as they got up in years, and they could remember all those trips going to the tabernacle, later on going to the temple and they you know they might have been singing praises unto God they may have been singing something out of the book of Psalms for all that we know later on when the temple was built you know singing hallelujahs unto God and talking about how wonderful it is to go into his courts with thanksgiving and with praise but when they get to the courts and they get to that point where they see the brazen altar and they see the blood and they see the you know, the bowls of blood. They, they see what's going on, the slaughter of innocent animals. Did their dad bother explaining to them, ever bother explaining to them why that was going on? Because God requires blood. God requires this sacrifice. Folks, it's no different now. If we have children, if we have nephews, nieces, even adults, even if we got parents that don't really understand the gospel, They've got to understand what the blood is about. I don't understand these preachers and these churches and even whole denominations that are wanting to subtract the blood from the gospel. Without the blood, we don't have a gospel. Amen. Without the blood, there's no remission. That's right. And we don't need to subtract that. We need, we need to dwell on the blood. We need to think about the blood. These Israelites, every time they went, because I don't, I don't read anywhere in Scripture. I can't think of anywhere in Scripture. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I can't think of anywhere in Scripture where God ever told them to clean the blood off the altar. He'd get you some water, get you a couple of rags, take one of them skins that I give you, and wipe that blood off. That blood would have built up and built up and built up as long as that tabernacle was mobile. And not, in, not moving. As long as the Israelites were in an encampment, that tabernacle was to be set up and these offerings were to be made. And every time somebody come by there and they saw the slaughter that was going on, were they reminded of their sins? When they saw the fire, when they saw the smoke, even if they were in one of the tents way out from where the tabernacle was, because folks, we ain't talking about a couple hundred people. We're talking about a few million that were encamped about this tabernacle. And even if their tent was way out, they could have seen the smoke coming up off of the altar where the burnt offering was, was being given night and day for a morning offering and an evening offering. When they saw that, were they convicted of their sin? Did they say, this burnt offering is there because of my sin, because of my disobedience? Because folks, only a convicted heart 
will understand what that what that offering really means, and it's no different in the New Testament. Before before I was saved, before God ever convicted me, I didn't get the cross. I didn't get the blood. I didn't get the nails. I didn't get the beating. I didn't get the the the, the beard being yanked out from the chin. I didn't I didn't get any of that before God convicted me. But when God convicted me, I realized that somebody had died in my place. I realized, uh, not with very deep meaning, that came with time, but I realized that I was a sinner and that God was a Savior and that Jesus Christ is the way and the provision that he made that I could come back to God the Father, that I could be reconciled to him. These offerings were the way that sinful Israelites, and their sin was pointed out to them uh, from Mount Sinai when the law of God was given. There was not one single Israelite that could say, I have kept all ten of those to a T. The law convicted them, whether they would admit it or not. The law convicted them. But these offerings, especially the burnt offering and the sin offering, the trespass offering, these were to bring God's people back to him. And remember, the peace offering wasn't for that. The peace offering was because they had been brought back. They had been reconciled. God had fellowship with his people, and his people had fellowship with him. The peace offering was, was an offering of praise unto God because of the peace that they had with God, not to obtain peace with God, not to gain peace with God. It was because the peace was already there. And that's, that's something that I think I, I drove pretty hard when we were teaching Leviticus chapter 3. But you think about all these things that, that I mentioned tonight. Think about all the bloodshed and like I said, the, the, the blood on the horns of the altar, the blood on the sides of the altar, the blood in the bowls at the at the base of the altar, the blood that uh, that was you know on the priests as they were doing the slaughtering, the the blood that was just all around. Everywhere they looked, there was blood when they went to the tabernacle. Uh, when uh, any time they would pass by there, there was blood. And folks, that's the way it should be in a Christian's life. We, uh, I'm not saying dwell. On the, on the blood so much that it drives you crazy breathing along those lines don't forget the joy that that blood brought you alive but that's exactly what it done if you're sitting here and you're saved and you're born again it brought joy it brought peace and because we have that peace with God we cannot we can give him a peace offering and I'm not talking about bringing an animal unto him folks those, those sacrifices are long gone but we can praise God because of the peace that we have with him. Through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ that we have peace with God. And that is the only way. It was by blood that we obtained that peace. It's by blood that we obtained salvation. It's by blood that we were reconciled back to, back to a God that was angry with us. Back to a God that the Bible says that his wrath abides upon the wicked. And every one of us in here were wicked at some point in our lives. We were wicked, wretched, sinful people that were rebellious against God, rebellious against his law. But he made a way through Jesus Christ that we could be reconciled back to him. This, what we've been reading the past several weeks, is the way the Israelites were reconciled back to God. And, the, and not only the way they were reconciled back to God through the burnt offering, through the sin and the trespass offering, but we've also covered the effects that those offerings had as far as the peace offering goes and as far as the meat offering goes. Those, those were 
remember the meat offering, that was that was an offering that was given to God, praising him for, for fellowship, praising him for uh, for provision. Remember, God said, you bring your finest flour, bring the best that you've got to me. And then the priest would burn part of it on the altar, and the rest was the priest. And, we, uh, and we've read where the priest could do, you know, have fellowship with his fellow priests and with the offerers as well. They could feast upon that after the priest had given his time of that offering. But anyway, that wraps up Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. I hope it's been a blessing to y'all. I hope you've gotten something out of it. Uh, hopefully it's enlightened you a little bit and made you uh, appreciate the Lord just a little bit more. Anyway, anybody got any questions or comments on anything that we've covered the past few weeks? All right, God bless you. I appreciate you.